0: & Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno.
1: Here we go, 4 o'clock hour. We're hanging out at Sierra Gold on the road on the east side. Why? Well, it's a great spot. But secondly, opening of the Golden Night season, they've got a big party here as uh, Chance the Mascot is going to be here along with uh, Viva Vegas, the uh, cheerleaders from VGK, awesome specials. Uh, beer and food starting as low as four bucks. Again, it's ninety-four sixty-five on Eastern right near Serene. Let's do it, big four time.
0: Battleborne injury lawyers presents the big four at four. Number four.
1: All right, Golden Knight season is here, Adam, and a last minute signing. Why did this take so long with Nick Haig?
2: I mean it was just I think typically one of those you know, contentious. I don't know, you know, how, you know, he did. It, it got necessarily in, in discussions, but I think there was uh, some thought from his side of wanting, you know, a great deal of money and deserving money for where, you know, where, where he is in his career. And then on the other side, the Golden Knights not having much flexibility, not having a whole lot of space to do it. And, and you saw it, the, the eve of the season, he gets signed for like $17 less than their cap room. Like essentially, it was every bit of cap space that they had. Uh, unless you want to, you know, go down and, and get you know, like what five beers at happy hour at uh, at PTs down there. Uh, th- that's essentially what they did. They they used every single cent that they had, and they you know kind of were looking for that flexibility. They got a little bit of it, and they said, "Hey, here's what we have. There. What else do you want to do? That's the money we have under the cap. We can't sign you for any more than that. Are we going to do it or not?" And it seems like finally they said, "Okay, well." We're not going to get any more than that. There's no other flexibility here, so let's do that. Why wasn't it important to bring him back? Very, very quality defenseman, reliable. Uh, certainly, a lot of size. Uh, and it's not he's maybe not as physical as you might expect with with that kind of size. But he's a very tall guy. You know, definitely uh, deceptively fast uh, as a skater because he has such long strides. And uh, just I think a very, very quality defenseman and a young defenseman and kind of an experienced group. So adds a little bit of energy back there as well. A very very popular guy in the locker room, so uh, I think important for him to be around.
0: Number three,
1: give me a grade for the Raiders defense last night against the Chiefs. Uh, C plus. Ooh, that's it. What would you go with? Probably about the same. A (laughs) B. Okay. I (laughs) thought there was some good play from Max Crosby. It was funny when I look back. You know, Crosby had a lot of highlight plays when I look back at his PFF numbers. He was okay. He wasn't unbelievable. 76.6 overall grading is good. He had the highlight plays. He had two sacks um, and a knockdown and, and some hurries. Uh, we saw a little bit of improved play from Chandler Jones. In the but first it wasn't. Half. It wasn't Baffo in the second half, and it was good to have Denzel Perriman back. And um, Blake Martinez actually got out there for like seven plays. But on Crosby, I mean, he's further emerging as a star because he is consistent just about every game. I saw the, the numbers put out by uh, Josh Dubow from the AP, uh, chronicling the 2019 draft class. Hmm. And uh, Crosby now leads the entire class uh, amongst defensive players. The 106th pick in the draft has 31 sacks. Bosa, Nick Bosa has 30 and a half. And Brian Burns, who, well, Raiders actually could have got. Uh, he's got 29 and a half. So uh, Crosby was a stud last night.
2: Can you imagine they Burns and Crosby?
1: Be nice. <laughs> uh, I know, you know. <laughs> Clee Furl did play, I think, twenty four plays and graded okay. But I mean, he's
2: not Brian Burns. You mean lockdown corner, Cle Furl? They were they were splitting him up wide with Travis Kelsey at times. It was it was awesome. It was an awesome study in uh in you know defensive approach. And here's look, this is gonna sound insane. I I, I already know it's going to sound insane before I before I even say it. They did a really good job on Travis Kelsey yesterday. <laughs>
1: I know it's, it sounds nuts, right? And I saw McDaniel's explain it today. Like between the twenties, we actually did a really, we did a good job. I don't know if he said a really good job, but it all goes out the window when you see a guy
2: score four touchdowns. Well, everything he did was inside the five yard line. All he does is catch touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, come on. What do we want, a Chris Carter, a tight end? But they, the the Chiefs do such a good job getting him free, finding ways to get him open inside the five, like better than almost anyone else in the entire league. Uh, but. Outside between the 20s, what did he have? Like two catches for like eight yards or something? It was it was insane how good of a job they did against him. Now again, lost track of him in, inside the five, and you can't do that. He's so dangerous. But I thought they they had a good plan, and a lot of that was hey, Cleaferl or you know, another defensive lineman is gonna is gonna light up where he does. And if it's close to the line, it looks normal. And if it's out wide as it was a couple of times, it's gonna look insane with Cleaferl covering <laughs> covering somebody out on the corner. But he was his job was just to hit him at the line of scrimmage and disrupt his routes, and I, I thought they did a fairly good job of that. Uh, it's not I don't think why they drafted Earl, uh, but he he played that role pretty well last night.
0: Number two
1: could be a future with Clefurl where he gets down to two thirty five and he's a linebacker. Probably not safety. Uh, Carl Cheffers. We were warned about him before the game. We've seen him in the past. He, he and his his crew were over-officious, and last night they were just incredibly inconsistent. And while most of the attention went to Chris Jones and Carr and the strip sack and the flop on top of him and a roughing the passer, the one that really killed the Raiders was the defensive holding on a field goal on Malcolm Kuntz. And at first you're like, well, come on, dude. And, and you know, Koontz, are you just an idiot? And then you watch the play, you're like, okay, I don't even see the holding. And the other problem with the play is – they never, ever call that in the National Football League. And if you want proof, I think it's been called seven times since 2010. Seven times in 12 years. And you're calling it in the Raiders-Chiefs game on Monday Night Football when it didn't appear to be egregious at all?
2: No, it didn't really didn't appear to be egregious. On the broadcast, they... Made the case that it was definitely a penalty, and
1: how do they describe it? It was like uh, hook and shoot. I'm like, wh- the, where, what? You, what's what's going on here? The
2: hook and pull, which he he did listen, the hook and pull. Listen, it was a penalty. the The problem is, and we talk about this in basketball. I think more than we do in football. We, we do in football as well. Like, if you never call something, you can't then call it in the biggest situations of games. You just can't do that. Like he did, and if you if you watch, I know a lot of people are taking a picture from later in the play. And saying, "Hey, look, it's actually the offense holding," but if you if you watch right from the snap, Kuntz, with the left hand grabs the right shoulder and yanks it down right. to keep him from getting out to where he wants to get, so they could shoot somebody through, uh, through the gap to try to block it. Now it didn't get blocked, and really it didn't even work that well because they didn't really get there. And then the Chiefs lineman then starts holding back uh, because he had been pulled. But yes, was it by the letter of the law? Was that a penalty? 100%. Yes. But, as you said, they never call this. There was a year, a season, I believe, 2015 or 17, where they called it three times in the season, which was by far the most that they've called. And clearly there was some sort of directive to uh, to crack down on that. So they called it a few times. Uh, but I think one time in the last three seasons it's been called. It, this just doesn't get called, and it happens on most plays. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Unreal. It's, it's unreal totally that you would make that call in that situation. But again... Can't really be that mad as a Raiders fan because you were in that position of leading because the referees made a bad call earlier.
1: Number one. Chiefs win. Raiders lose a heartbreaker. They're one and four. Quote, I really blame myself. (laughs) Who is that on the Raiders? I believe that would be number 28, Josh Jacobs. Wait, what? Josh Jacobs. I really blame myself. Because I could have reached the ball over. I know we harp on not reaching the ball, but that was a situation where it wouldn't have mattered if I did. So I'll just put that on my shoulders. Josh Jacobs, 154 yards on the ground, 7-3 a carry. Second straight 100-yard performance in the 11th of his career. Back-to-back, 140-yard games. Who's the last Raider to do that? Do you know? Oof. I would say... Oof. Was it like Darren McFadden? Bo Jackson in okay. 1989, That's 23 years guess. ago. And before that, Marcus Allen. So, two of the all time greats. Allen did it in 1985. 140 plus, 21 carries, 154. Quote, I really blame myself. <laughs> Bruh. Now, if he's setting an example, which I love when people do that, you know, when you're the most outstanding person on the field for your team. And Devontae Adams was very good. I love setting the example, but I you know, I don't think he was doing that for a fact. I actually think he was speaking from the heart. And right now, this is a team that's really hurting. Uh, it doesn't feel like they should be 1-4, and four, but that's where they are. Um, and then, we, of course, we can get into the whole discussion. Greatest 1-4 and four team <laughs> ever. But it, it's, it's amazing, and I don't like to pat you on the back because you're an egomaniac. We know that. You're True. completely out of control. Factual. I, I do have to say, Adam Hill said repeatedly a year ago, even when they made the playoffs and came close to beating the Bengals, that this was an average team that overachieved, and when you look at last year, they were 7-2 and in one possession games, and it just seems like this year, the little things they did right a year ago, those plays here and there, they're not getting done, and it's flipped on them.
2: By the way, and just to go further on that stat, I, I think I'm right on this. This is off the top of my head, but I think they were 7-1 and one in games decided by 6 or less because I think one of those losses was an 8-point loss. So I think they were 7-1 and one in games decided by 6 points or less, and that's just – it's not sustainable. It's not Again, it's not luck, but it is a bit fluky, and those things don't tend to hold up over time, and you're seeing that this year. Look, I'll say right now, this team is way better than the one last year way better.
1: Another another thing you said may happen, yeah. that they could be better this year, but their record will probably be worse. Yeah, that was actually my, what? my exact prediction. That doesn't
2: make any sense. My exact prediction that was that they'd be a much better team with a worse record. And I think that's kind of bearing out right now. Now, yeah. I don't think this is going to continue because, look, the schedule softens up. There are some winnable games. in The next six, you know, you've got, you know, at this point, the, the problem that you is that you've buried yourself and that you kind of have to go six and oh uh, in these six games. If you go four and two, you know, you're still kind of right there in the middle of the pack. You you've got to try to put a bunch of wins together here in this stretch of games, but they're more than capable of doing it. They have everything in place to be able to do it. The issue is do like last year, how the wins kind of just were contagious and they just somehow just kept finding weird ways to win games. Do the losses become contagious? Is that a thing? Or this year, where you just kind of know. Late in the game, it's not going to go your way, and you're kind of have a defeatist um, mentality about things like that is an issue. that is something to try to work on and not 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 allow to happen. but uh, yeah, I, I think that they are in a spot right now that it was not that unpredictable, that they' are a better, much improved team that does not have a, as good of a record, and they've put themselves in a very, very difficult position for the you know last two-thirds of the season.
1: Yeah, I saw someone tweet out, we should be talking about Josh Jacobs. Over 150 on the ground. Derek Carr, 241 and two touchdowns. Devontae Adams, 124 and two touchdowns. Max Crosby, two sacks. But instead, we're talking about the Raiders being one and four with the season on life support. You know, in a lot of ways, before last year, we could often talk about the Raiders and good numbers, and then the intangibles weren't there to win close games. And And I, like you, I think that is legit. When you start to lose... Both ways. When you win and you win close games, does it help you in future close games in terms of confidence? And then flip it the other way like you just said. When you start losing, can you get out of that losing pattern if you're lacking confidence? Does it start to weigh on you so much that then you make mistakes
2: at key points in the game and you continue to lose? I don't know the answer with this team. Well, and part of it might not even be a mentality as much as, hey, do you start questioning? Like last night you go for – Quote unquote, the win, the lead with the two point yep. conversion. Do you start making different decisions like, well, that didn't work. So I'm going to do something different. Like, you've got to stay with your process, stay with what you believe in. You can't change things up just because they don't work.
1: And when you, as I'll call them, make those risks, are there guys on the field who are like, yeah, I don't like this call? Are there guys acting, you know, thinking mentally during a game like Keenan Allen was tweeting the other day about Staley? Like, that can hurt your efforts to win the game. We come back. It's the Battleborne Sports Hour, 766 1400, Battleborne Injury Lawyers.
0: roughing the passer and protecting the quarterback is essentially what we're doing in this league we got to be able to look at roughing the passes in the, the booth take a look at the grady Jarrett situation I was gonna ask
2: you,
0: that was a third down stop also and then when you take that in initiative if we're able to view it in the booth and the referees can get a second look because it's happening so fast maybe we can change that Cofield and company nfl insider miles simmons from pro football talk joins us
1: now I like what Chris Jones had to say after the game. The Kansas City Chiefs' lineman who got dinged for roughing the passer as he pulled off a strip sack. Let's bring in Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk, here on this Tuesday. Miles, how you doing, buddy?
3: I'm doing all right, guys. How are you?
1: I'm good. You were uh, very truculent on Twitter last night. I saw you tweet out around that same time. I was. NFL should make roughing the passer penalties subject to review tomorrow.
3: Yeah, I I was a little emotional about it for whatever reason. I don't know, I guess, because you know what happens on Mondays now that I do PFT Live starting at 4 a.m. on Peacock, which is available to view right now on the Peacock app, or you can go and watch those clips on YouTube. I get a little tired and, and crotchety by the time Monday Night Football starts, so I just... Yeah, I was a little emotional about it, and that was a little embarrassing by me. But it's still, I think my point generally still stands. And frankly, it's something that Chris Jones was asking about, too. Because, look, when you have somebody who is as big as Chris Jones is, he's 300-plus pounds, right? This is gravity. This is physics. What exactly is he supposed to do? Stop take out a pillow and lay it down for Derek Carr and then land him softly on it and then also not take the ball from him because I guess you should never make a quarterback strip sack Uh, when you are trying to get to him, even though that's what you're paid to do. the, The whole thing right now is absolutely out of control with the NFL. And I would be surprised if the NFL weren't saying something to the officials this week about, hey, we need to be really clear about what roughing the passer is or is not. Especially because what Grady Jarrett did has been shown on teach tape for how you are supposed to take down a quarterback: grab and twist. That's what he did, and the fact that that was roughing the passer is absolutely unacceptable.
2: So, I mean, how much can they really change? I mean, we know what they can do behind the scenes and, and all of that, but like, if if teams are winning, you know, the Bucks got a win essentially, not fully, but you know what I'm saying. They had the they were in the opportunity to win okay. because of a bad call. Now, if you change it and now later in the year the bucks benefit again because the rule has been changed like that's not fair to everybody else either right so how much can you really do
3: you can make sure that te- that officials are enforcing the rules in a logical way right they're enforcing standards in a logical way there are not many other officiating crews who would call roughing the passer on what Jerome Boger did <laughs> in that game with the 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 uh the buccaneers and the falcons look patrick mahomes got taken down for a sack in basically the exact same way last night and then you had chiefs fans in the stands that were booing a because they were mad at the officials already and they made the officials shook which i think was a little bit funny but (laughs) b because it's exactly the same play that happened the day before they saw it it was a flag why isn't that consistently officiated? That's something that the NFL really ought to be accountable for. The NFL officials ought to be accountable for that. right? Everybody else on that field is accountable for their performance. Why aren't the NFL officials also accountable for what they do?
2: Uh, well, they are accountable. They have to talk to a pool reporter after the game, Miles. Uh I don't know, right, it's, yeah, they're one really, of them. their feet are really held to the fire, um, no, and mm-hmm. no disrespect to uh, the local pool reporter for the PFWA, Case Kiefer from The Sun, who does a fantastic job, he hasn't had to do it yet, but he would, uh, why do we do, Why do we still do this? I, I, I think it's important to hold them accountable, but every single time there's a pool report, it's worse and worse. I called what I oh, saw, I, I called what I saw, like, sh- stop, why even answer questions? Yeah. Then?
3: Well, no, you're you're not wrong, Adam. And the other problem with the pool reporter is that sometimes they don't go into the other parts of what should be asked, right? Because you had that holding on (laughs) uh, the field goal that was called, which, I mean, I've never really seen that called before. But I saw on Twitter some folks say, like, yes, that is the correct app. Application of that rule. But that's something that should have been asked. And frankly, and I mean, I have a lot of respect for Adam Teicher. I think he does a pretty good job for ESPN. But that's something that should have been asked of the official in that pool report. But it wasn't in part because you're on a Monday night game, you're on deadline, and you are trying to get answers about this one particular thing that is the biggest thing. So there, there's a lot more that I think can be done to make sure that officials actually are accountable to the public. Because they should be. Look, I mean, think about how big sports betting is becoming, right? I mean, obviously, it's huge where this uh, radio is station is being broadcast in Nevada. But at the same time, I mean, we have a ballot initiative here in California, right? These things are bigger and bigger and bigger. And if officials are affecting the outcome of the game, which is what the officials did on that Chris Jones sack that they called roughing the passer, because that's a turnover, Right, Th- these things are directly affecting the outcomes. You cannot have that happen.
2: Who's more likely to get suspended, Sheffers or Devontae Adams?
3: <laughs> Devontae Adams, <laughs> because the NFL is not going to suspend an official. And look, uh, okay, I, this I don't think is going to be a necessarily very popular thing for me to say, at least nationally. But here's the thing about like uh, being on the field post game, and and I have a lot of friends who are in video production and are on the field post-game for NFL games. Why was that person walking in front of the tunnel at that time? Devontae Adams should not have shoved him to the ground. But rule number one of being on the field is do not be where you're not supposed to be. I don't understand why you would walk in front of the tunnel like that when players are going up into the tunnel. He should not have been there. I mean, I have a, a good friend of mine who is a director of production and what it, he said, the two things that I would have asked that grip were a, are you okay? And B, why in the world were you there? Yeah, You, you shouldn't be there. And so I'm glad Devonte Adams apologized. I, I, it was very out of character for him just hmm. knowing what we know about him publicly, but That guy should never have been there. Devontae Adams should not have reacted like that. Like, I never should have been there.
1: Okay, let's let's make that point, and then let's get to the push and the action after. Because that's the bigger story here. Not that someone happened to walk in front of him. Because I'm going to walk around Sierra Gold tonight a lot. I can... Guarantee you I'm not going to throw Chance to the ground or a cheerleader or a bartender or Mateo. Anyone walks in front of me, you're going down. That's not going to (laughs) happen. And if I did that, I would stop and try to help them. Yes. That was outrageous. Don't stare at the guy and then walk by and and basically no one helped him. They're two different things. Act like a human being and be somewhat courteous. You knock someone to the ground. Help them up.
3: I agree. I agree. It, 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 yeah. Sorry. I, it I, annoys I, me because, because I'm no. on the
1: field all the time, and I can only imagine with my temper I had I been knocked to the ground. Because I'll give you a good example. You know what I do all the time when I'm sideline reporting for UNLV? My head is up my ass at times, and I'm walking, I walk by the path of the kicker's net. You know what the kickers don't do? Kick me right in the face or just <laughs> punt a ball right in my nuts because they're human beings, because they're watching, because they're paying attention.
3: Yes, but they're also kickers. Sorry. You could take a kicker. Steve. <laughs> 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 Actually, the kicker, the kicker's on. The,
1: a beast, man. Yeah, one of the uh, the the kicker himself would knock my head off, literally off my shoulders. But one of the punters who's the uh, yeah, holder, yeah. Charlton Butt, is like six three and about two forty. If and there's been a couple of times when I walked in front of him, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm sorry. But you notice there's a courtesy there too. Hey, sorry, of course bro. there is. I'm in your territory. Yes. Like, I, I just I don't know, man. I all the people coming to defense, and now now we've got people who are like. The guy did it on purpose to get a payday. What are we doing here?
3: No, no. He just didn't have. He wasn't aware of his surroundings, and I think that's it's one of the things that annoys me about people in general is people who are unaware of their surroundings and what they're doing and what they should be doing. But I can tell you that if he does work for an NFL team, that's what the reaction would have been. Are you okay? Why were you there? Because you should know better if you're on the field for an NFL game than to be in the tunnel for the losing team when they're going up the thing. But again, you're right. I mean, Devontae Adams' reaction was absolutely 100% wrong. And so if he gets suspended, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't necessarily think he should be. I think a heavy fine is okay for this particular instance. But he should not have been, He should not have reacted that way. And I, I should have been more clear on that. You're absolutely right.
1: Sir. I wasn't yelling at you. That's pent up, and it's coming again on the five o'clock hour. That's pent up from reading a night and day of people just <laughs> acting like animals, and, and uh, you know claiming that uh, they would just knock people to the ground because they just happen to be in their way. It's, uh, let's nah, let's nah. you know we're, we've Nobody we've knows. all become like big tough talkers, and actually in a lot of ways, unfortunately, I sit on TikTok all the time and I watch people fighting on video all the time. <laughs> our our lack of civility is getting really scary in twenty twenty. It is.
2: You're right, Miles. What do you think about Steve just spending all his time on TikTok? As a fifty-five-year-old it's, man. It's, it's out I know. Of control. I, I, it's I, out I, of control.
3: I was a little surprised by that. I was gonna move right past it. I know we have limited time here, but yeah, that was uh, yeah, that, that was, was an that interesting was out. revelation. Yeah, uh, out of control. I admit it. I admit it.
2: Teddy <laughs> Bridgewater sick. in concussion protocol, but not what what.
3: He is in concussion protocol because the NFL's uh, and NFLPA's unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant apparently uh, saw some sort of ataxia, which is the new term that they're using instead of gross motor instability. And if this is where they're gonna go, where they're gonna err on the side of caution as opposed to just sending a player back out there who has not been cleared or who has been cleared, or whatever happened with Tua tongue then I kind of understand it because we're dealing with players' brains. So, Teddy Bridgewater has got to go through every single step of the concussion protocol. And it's easier in some ways to do that if you're a quarterback because you don't every 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 practice is non contact for you. So you have to get through the non contact portion of this and that and then you can get from limited to full and all that. So if that's the case, then fine. I mean, it's not necessarily that Teddy Bridgewater is going to miss much, if anything, on the field. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's one of those situations where they may be erring on the side of caution. And after what happened to Tungvaluwa, I can understand it.
2: Miles, what do you got coming up?
3: Uh, well, you can check out the latest episode of the Peter King podcast uh, on all your favorite platforms. He's talking to Brandon Graham this week. It is a good conversation. You don't want to miss that. So go ahead and check that out on Peacock or on wherever you subscribe to your podcast or on YouTube.
1: Thank you, Miles. We appreciate it. Take care, guys. It's, it's Nevada Sports Talk Hour with Cofield and Company on ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, my goodness. double breaking out here. Uh-oh. Piscuits all the way going up the stands here. I'm going to have to put few out there Jim. James
2: Dales 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 is just uh, got to get off that sideline.
0: It's Coofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN
1: Sports Reno. Hi, rolling on here. Gold on Eastern It's Cofield and Company. That was from the weekend. Boy, can he pick it and slides. Always seems to be an issue, huh? <laughs> Yes. So, Pickett gets – I don't Do you even want to say that he got rocked? I, I thought the guy came in and kind of like half-heartedly hit him up high. I thought Pickett slid late, which is – he's the guy who started the rule about no fake slides because uh, he did it in, in college at Pittsburgh. Uh, then one of the linemen for the Steelers comes over, uh, you know, throws the guy – from the Bills, and then he gets caught on the sideline, and he's lucky that really didn't break into a big fight. It was a lot of pushing, but there were probably about eight different Bills players around him who chose not to punch him in the face or rip his helmet off. Um, that was a that was a weird one, and then Pickett got real vocal about it too. And he also he was also I'm going to say the victim. I, I again I didn't think it was a vicious hit. Uh, someone went for him low, and he got all pissed off and actually pushed that guy. So Kenny Pickett's going to be interesting to watch in between throwing interceptions and losing a lot of games for the Steelers.
2: He seems to uh, be quite cocksure. Sure, but he should have saved it for Tomlin. And maybe that's a frustration he was taking out. Like, I love Tomlin, but bro, what are you doing? Like, it was, you're down 21. It's fourth and five from like the 44. Let's punt. Like, what on earth are some coaches doing? (laughs) They kicked a field, 21 nothing. They kicked a field goal. It's
1: insane. Did you get to watch the end of what just happened with Seattle and the Astros? I did. And, uh, the, oh uh, the
2: Mariners got what they deserve for taking out the Las Vegas.
1: Yeah, what happened down the stretch there? Because Robbie Ray was in to close out the game.
2: Well, Seawald was in, uh, two-on, two-out, two-run lead for the Mariners. He was in to close, and then they took him out to go lefty-lefty with Ray against Alvarez, and uh, Alvarez. I think the shot that Alvarez hit is still going. I think it might land at, at Sierra Gold with you. Uh, I was actually
1: going to use the line. I I thought it actually drilled a hole in a person and just exited the stadium through the wall, it, like the back help. wall in right field. It was such a laser, like a cartoon. Um, zero, zero confusion. Lefty on lefty. <laughs> Ray no. did nothing. Did nothing to alter the swing. Good, good Alvarez matchup. just buried that ball.
2: Eight seven final. Heartbreaker for the Mariners. Yeah, that, that I mean that decision didn't go well. Seawall is in the club. I mean, look, he was a little bit. He's a little bit wild. Uh, but you brought them into close. Let them close. Like I don't know what they're doing, and they take them out and pay the price. Las you Vegas, well, a, Las you, Vegas, well represented in the playoffs, though.
1: Very much so. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. All right, we got uh, my
2: guy Joey against my guys, Sing the it. Padres. Baby, they're they're not your guys. They are this year. Why? Uh, I I filled in on Raider Nation Radio a couple weeks ago. I guess it was like two months ago, whenever it was. Time flies. Uh, it You're does. very busy. Uh, at the trade deadline. And I said I really liked a lot of the Padres made, and they might take a while, but they're going to jail, and they're going to be really tough for the Dodgers to beat in the playoffs. Did you get and laughed at by the football experts? It was three days of just being crushed on Twitter by really? Dodgers fans. And uh all right, well, we'll see. I, I mean, look, the Dodgers are a big favorite. But I, I said – I didn't even say they were going to beat them. I said it would be very difficult for them to get through in the playoffs. It's a tough challenge.
1: Well, you know what happened. I mean, during the regular season, they – Padres got just crushed. Sure. So Everyone assumes that's going to carry over to the postseason. <laughs> Not necessarily. Throw that out.
2: Postseason. I like some of the pitching matchups for the Dodgers. Let's go. Like just for the Padres, I mean, like, I, know, I like the, I like their pitchers. I like. I mean, Darvish has been great. Uh, carried you know carried certain people to second place finishes in fantasy leagues. I like that. There you go. Uh,
1: so yeah, so I you like do you, uh, Musgrove later in the series. Do you like whatever he's putting on his ears? Sure, I love it. Were you <laughs> watching that game? Balls breaking. That was on, that was. Uh, that was you had a choice. You could watch Sunday Night Football or uh, Mets and Padres. Yeah. I guess you could watch both, but you, know, you couldn't have the sound on both and really pay, uh, really pay attention. I had but. them both
2: on when they, when they found the quarter behind Musgrove's ear. Right? Yeah.
1: I think it was David Cohn who was on the game, but they repeatedly mentioned for like three innings the spin rate for <laughs> Musgrove being yeah. way, way, way up. And it was like Showalter was listening. It's like, hey, the guy's pitching out of character. Let's go check him. It's Cofield and Company with the Battleborne Sports Hour presented by Battleborne Injury Lawyers call from anywhere in the state of Nevada, 766-1400. Wake up and take a seat in the press box with Graney and Bischoff, weekday mornings from 7 to 10. Money, 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 money,
0: money. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting, betting with Sammy P.
3: Sammy P.
1: As Sammy P was on the Raiders, he told us last week, plus 7. Moneyline win would have been nice. That didn't happen, but uh, the Raiders kind of did it themselves, and also that weird defensive holding on a field goal was just bizarre. Sam is up with Cofield & Company. Sam, how you doing, buddy?
0: Typical Raiders, man. Two receivers running into themselves at the end of the game, and now the Las Vegas Raiders, after being very good last year, I believe 7-2 in one-score games, 0-4 this season.
1: Amazing. Little things that they got done last year. Not getting done this year. I wanted to go off the beaten path before we get to a little baseball and look ahead in the NFL, and I wanted your commentary on, did you see the Reds signed a deal with BetMGM? So, of course, people immediately bring up Pete Rose. The Pete Rose stands came up up today on Twitter. Any take on, uh, I mean, this is kind of normal now, right? Baseball teams doing local partnerships with books.
0: I just think it's sad that it's going to take Pete Rose going in the box for them to put him in the Hall of Fame, you know, like that's basically what we're gonna have happen here. They're not gonna do it while he's still here. I think that's very clear. Um, I mean, you know, sports gambling is legal in over thirty states now. You can walk into what ten, fifteen ballparks next season and bet on baseball. But I think just the the old timers, the relics, they, they don't want him to experience the Hall of Fame while he's here. And I think I think it's crystal clear. Uh, you know, they're gonna be Several people in the Veterans Committee that eventually want to push him through. I think eventually he gets into Cooperstown, but he is still sort of being blackballed and, and to me that's very obvious.
2: What happens first? You might want to put a line on this. Pete Rose gets in the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Fame has a sports book?
0: <laughs> Ooh, that's a good oh, one. No. I would say I would say sports book Cooperstown is minus a quarter. <laughs>
1: Sounds about right. That's amazing. Uh, You are rolling the dice with one of the uh, higher combos for the World Series. Who do you have the Dodgers going against?
0: I'm a big Cleveland baseball team fan. Uh, Some people (laughs) call them the Guardians. We were able to get a little exact action. So a couple books around this country give you Team A over Team B. And we were able to whack a little Dodgers over Guardians at 55-1. to And then Guardians over Dodgers at 100-1. to I hope that happens. My plan was very simple, and again, people that listen to this segment every week are no strangers to my logic that the Guardians as the three, having all three games at home in the first round and then playing a Yankee team that hasn't played in five days, I think that's advantage Cleveland. We shall see. Uh, But this Cleveland team is just built for October baseball. They are so fundamentally sound. They don't strike out. They run the bases well solid defensively. They don't rely on home runs. Good rotation, solid bullpen, arguably the best closer in the game against a team in the Yankees that lives and dies via the home run. So, again, we shall see. It's a best of five, but if I can get Cleveland into the ALCS, I could basically like hedge off the tree, if you will. Like I can bet a little Astros or Mariners to win the pennant, or I can bet Braves or whoever on the other side to win the World Series, but I'm basically keying in the Dodgers, or I keyed in the Dodgers with the Guardians. If that is the World Series, we are going to have a very expensive dinner in Vegas, I promise.
2: Sam <laughs> <laughs> Penny, I joining us in uh, just kind of stolen base from the Guardians. Uh, if they have a lead late, you have to feel very confident. I know you just mentioned it. That dude is sick. That, their closer class is just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, he's throwing like 99-100 and it's effortless too, which is, which is wild. But, you know, I look at their rotation and in this game, they threw Quantrill who, Oh, by the way, was the number two most profitable pitcher in baseball this year. He's up almost 14 units this season. So when he starts, they win. And then after Quantrill, they're going to go Bieber and McKenzie game two, game three. I I really like my chances here. The problem is that Astro team is just loaded. (laughs) And say what you want about Houston, cheaters, blah, blah, blah. They've lost over the last couple of years, they've lost Garrett Cole, Carlos Correa, George Springer, and it doesn't even matter. Like That's how good that that organization is at drafting and developing talent. But if you ask me who I'm rooting for, I am the biggest Cleveland Guardians fan in Boston right now.
2: As you mentioned, it's an exact. You also need the Dodgers. How confident are you on that side of it?
0: I'm not too worried about it. I mean, Cody Bellinger was hitting ninth for that team, <laughs> you know, like a, a former NL MVP is hitting in the nine hole. It just tells you how deep that lineup is. And I think the last couple of years have proven it's more about offense in the postseason than it is about pitching. I mean, hell, ask the New York Mets. Oh, we got the ground and we got Scherzer. Yeah. How did that work out? You need big hits and the Dodgers, I mean, one through nine easily have the best lineup in the postseason. I don't think they can all go cold at once. So, I'd be stunned if they didn't make it to the World Series.
1: Sam Pennyovich on Cofield & Company. We're live at Sierra Gold getting ready for the open of the Golden Night season on the road in L.A. Some football. Uh, First of all, did you go 4-0-1 this past weekend? Is that correct? And how are you in the contest?
0: 25th. Tied for 25th right now. Top 30 get paid. Long way to go. Uh, Stay the course, of course. Don't get too wrapped up into the past and just keep trying to find those proper underdogs. I was a little upset because the uh, Bears line, Superbook puts those lines off for of the contest on Wednesday, and Chicago was plus seven. They closed plus eight and a half, and I jumped back into the pool, bet a little seven and a half, bet some eight, bet some eight and a half, but did push on the Bears. But, yeah, man, four zero and one in the contest, tied for 25th. And here's the other crazy thing. I'm somehow still alive in the Survivor. There are just over 700 entries left out of 6,000 only 700 and I'm still one of those people
1: Hmm. you know one of my friends mentioned to me the other day based on the fact that you know you lose like 80 percent 85 percent of the field early by week six why does anyone really go with a strategy of trying to save teams for later in the season when they're picking at the beginning
0: yeah, we've talked about this now for a couple of weeks now. I always left. Well, I'm going to save the Bills and I'm going to right. save the you know so and so, and then they you know they take Jacksonville in Survivor. <laughs> you know, like a, yeah. I can never get over that. Like, oh, okay, you don't want to take the Bills, but you want to take Jacksonville, and then you want to go out on Jacksonville. So look, I I am zigging when everybody is zagging, and you know, my partner and I had a conversation today, and we were going back and forth about the teams that are still left in our pocket. And I said, look, I don't like the Rams' big picture this year. I think the Rams are the easiest survivor leg of the week. They're an 11-point favorite at home. Eventually, they're going to blow out a bad team, which the Panthers are. Panthers fired their head coach, and both quarterbacks are hurt. Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold are hurt. It's going to be P.J. Walker against Aaron Donald in that offensive line or defensive line. And he goes, well, I don't know. Everybody might pick L.A. I go, I don't give a damn. I don't care who everybody's picking. Give us the win. We want to win and move on. We're going to burn the Rams probably on Sunday. Rams are an 11-point favorite at home. I, I don't think they're losing to P.J. Walker and the Panthers.
2: And I agree with you. We should We should probably clarify, though, for – I mean, all contests are different. We're talking about Circa where there is a week where there's only six teams, right? So you do have to save a team for that week.
0: Yeah, for Thanksgiving, we still have Buffalo and Minnesota because there are three games on that Thanksgiving, Thursday, and then there's a split around Christmas where I want to say there are like eight games on Saturday and four games on Sunday, or I might have that a little inverted. Yeah, you need to save save some ammo for Thanksgiving, Thursday, and then that Saturday-Sunday split. But I feel good about where we're at. And, you know, at this point in time, as Steve just alluded to, I don't really care what everybody else is going to pick. I just want to win. That's all.
1: Let's pick some games for this week. Bears, Commanders, Ooh. Thursday night football, pick them.
0: Yeah, this game stinks. I'm going over the total. I know nobody wants to bet the over, but th- this total is so low. It, it's almost it's too low, and th- there's very little margin for error. When you have a total of 37.5, like one broken play, this game's over. One pick six, one block punt, one fumble for a touchdown. This game is going to go over. Chicago has the worst rushing defense in the league and Washington's awful defensively, too. I mean, these two teams stink, but can they not get to 20? I think it's like 24-20 either way. I think that total, is it, it's too low at this point, at 37.5. I'm going to go over.
1: I'm fascinated by the Bucks and the Steelers. The Bucks are nine. Uh, we'll see what happens when T.J. Watt comes back, if they can actually win games. But I think for this year, the Lions are actually, I'm sorry, check that, the Steelers are actually the Lions of a year ago. I think Pickett, even though he makes mistakes, I think he's going to score some points. What do you think? Can they stay in the game, backdoor cover, or is it a blowout?
0: It's tough to trust a guy with little hands. <laughs> that being said, I mean the, the the good thing about the Steelers getting blown out by Buffalo is that yeah. the next couple of weeks their spreads are astronomical. You know what I mean? Like it almost it almost benefits the people that are willing to plug their nose and play this ugly dog, and that's what you have. The good thing about Pittsburgh is. They're going to fight, I think, under Mike Tomlin. So, yeah, I, I would probably, like, if you made me bet this game, it's not going to make my contest card. I'm not going to have any money on it. But I would probably plug and play the Steelers plus the points.
1: We've always had a producer with little hands for some reason. There's a yeah. lot of small spaces in the studio, so you have to have small hands. So do you trust Ari?
0: I do trust Ari, actually. And, by the there way, Ari Ari looks way younger than he really is.
1: <laughs> he does, but he acts even younger, though at times, although sometimes he's the moral compass of the show. Um, Sam Petriavich is with us. I don't know where I'm going with this, but Ravens 5, Giants. uh, I know you're all over the Giants, and so far, that's a pretty good win total bet.
0: That coach is awesome, man, and and I was trying to tell people before the season the importance of coaching in the NFL. You know, there's a big difference between your average coach and a very good coach, and I think we're seeing that in a couple different teams right now. You know, Brian Dable has just – he's unleashed the potential of this roster, It is far from the best roster in this division, but he's able to get the ball in playmakers' hands. Get the ball. You know what? Get the ball to Saquon Barkley. Put him in the frickin' Wildcats. Get him the ball. And on defense, Wink Martindale is pushing all the right buttons on that defense. They bring pressure. They cause confusion. I do like the Giants, generally speaking, but that schedule is about to get harder I'm up in the fence. I'm up in the air on this one. I'd probably take the five because that's a big number. But I don't love the Giants. I would play the Giants maybe at some contests at plus five.
1: College football, what are we doing, Bama, Tennessee?
0: Man, I really want to take seven and a half. You know, Bryce Young, we're going to pay very close attention to his status, the quarterback for Alabama. I'm being told on a Tuesday night that he's likely going to play but there's a difference between playing and there's a difference between you know being 100%. Like he, he's not 100% with that shoulder. So Bryce Young at 80%, how good is he? That's the question I, I don't have an answer to. I would probably take the points with Tennessee, especially over seven. This is a very situationally similar spot to when Alabama went on the road three years ago to LSU and lost that game out right now. That LSU team is one of the best to ever play. But this Tennessee team has a Heisman contender and Hendon Hooker. They have speed and skill on the outside. I think this is a very, very close game. I would take the points with Tennessee.
1: Sam Peniotovic, Nesson, Fox Sports, we got about 30 seconds left here. you have anything that you put in for uh, season, props, futures for the NHL?
0: I played the wild point total over 100 and a hundred and a half. I played the Blackhawks under 66-and-a-half. That team might be the worst in hockey. And then I told you, what did I tell you two weeks ago? Circled this date when Utah plays USC in Salt Lake City. <laughs> I laid three. I laid three and a half. I think the Utes blow the Trojans out. Wow.
1: Okay. Bold pick. Sam, we appreciate it, man. Thank you.
0: All right, guys. See you later.
1: Big bounce back spot for Utah after UCLA freaking laid a, a whooping on them. Until seven. Show closes out at six. We got another hour on the way. Here is Sierra Gold. On Eastern, just south of the 215. Come in, opening night for the Vegas Golden Knights on the road against the LA Kings. We've got Golden Knights tickets for a future game at the Fortress. We're giving out Sierra Gold gift cards. Food and beer starts at just $4. bucks. we will go to the 5 o'clock hour. You've been listening on Sports Reno. If you want to hear the archive of the show, com is where you find it.